Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. It's said that we die two deaths. The first, after we exhale our last breath. And the second, the last time someone speaks our name. I'm Alicia, host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Together, we'll honor the victims of violent crime, investigate what makes criminals tick, and shed light on long-forgotten cases. Come on this journey with me. Dead On is streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. Hey, Twisted listeners, I'm Cindy, and this is Twisted Listers, a podcast about murder and lists. And once again, I am solo because my friends and I can't get our shit together. I had wanted to have my friend Laura come for the recording, but she's three hours ahead in Canada and math is hard. So we just never found a time that could work for both of us. So I'm just going to be doing this solo. I've got a really great case today, but before we get into that, we are brought to you by the Podmoth Podcasting Network. Check out the other shows. You just heard an ad for one of them. And I also wanted to do a quick shout out to all my other indie pods that I love. Um, there's The Right Shoe with Debbie Q. There is Murder at Bedtime with Lyndon. He's doing a lot on YouTube now. That's pretty fun. Um, there's Murderific with Bernadette. She's the shit. Um, she's like my podcasting idol. I love her. And there's also Bloody Podcast. They are a little indie podcast out of Los Angeles, much like us. And we actually have mutual friends because LA, for as big a city as it is, is actually pretty tiny. So they do a lot. They do uh, like women. Basically, it's just always like female murderers, which is really fun. So check them out. And also, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, it's patreon.com backslash Twisted Listers. If you'd like to join us on TikTok, it's just at Twisted Listers. If you want to join us on Instagram, we're over a thousand followers now. Yay! You can do that at Twisted Listers PCAST. Our website is twistedlisterspod.com. And you can email us at twistedlisterspod at gmail.com with case suggestions, um, feedback, anything you want to send us. Also, thanks everybody for the feedback on the recording quality. Diva and I, when we record, we record on Zoom, so we're kind of at the mercy of that program for how good we're going to sound. But this week, since I've been alone, I've just been recording it on my own recording software, so I think we're going to try to find a way for us to do that even when we are not together. Just maybe record it on our own and then I'll splice it together, because I think the difference in quality of sound is like pretty noticeable and it makes us sound pretty profesh, so... Anyway, all right, I am going to do today the murder of Cassie Jo Stoddart, otherwise known as the Scream murder. And now this is known as the Scream murder because it is, it was inspired, I would say, by the movie Scream. And for those of you younger than me, hopefully you've still seen Scream. It's absolutely like a classic horror film. I was 13 when it came out, so I was like just the right age to enjoy it. 
Diva's a bit younger than I am, but obviously she's seen it and understands that it's actually like a modern day classic. It's a really, really fantastic film. As far as the sequels and things go, I can't really speak to those. I haven't seen them. I've seen Scream 2, and it was like enough that I have not seen Scream 3. Um, But this case takes place in 2006 in Pocatello, Idaho, and I think it's after Scream 3 came out, but before Scream 4. At this point, I think we're at like Scream 15. I don't know. Um, Anyway, but Scream was a fucking amazing movie. It's Drew Barrymore in like one of her best roles in the beginning, and then it just kind of breaks into this like teen horror thing. There's, it's just amazing. And it's kind of like making fun of the type of people who are like obsessed with horror movies and want to like be those people. So the irony of that, when you're listening to this case, like just keep that in mind. And if you haven't seen Scream, definitely check it out. If you have seen Scream, um, some of the references I make later will make sense. If not, again, watch it and then you'll know. So like I said, this takes place in 2006 in Pocatello, Idaho. It's a small town. Um, Idaho's kind of just like a small town kind of place. There's not a lot of large cities there. It's pretty um, Mormon or religious in other ways. It's very, it tends to be very white. Um, I used to live in Oregon and all the like super crazy conservative, conservative people were like leaving Oregon for Idaho because they couldn't stand how like progressive Oregon is, which trust me, coming from California and going to Oregon, that's not actually a thing. But, you know, basically if we're not like, in the South in the 50s, it's too progressive. So a lot of these people were going to Idaho. So that's just kind of an idea in my mind of at least my experience with Idaho. In any case, so Cassie was a junior at Pocatello High School in 2006. She was 16 years old. She was a pretty normal teen. Actually, everywhere says that. And then when I read about her, I'm like, she's not normal. Also, I hate when they say that. It's like, oh, she was normal. It's like, no, this is like a person. And we don't like just saying she was a normal teen, like it glosses over who she was, which I think is shitty. She was a straight A student. She was into sports. She was super into art and music. She didn't like drink or use drugs, which for a 16 year old, like that's, that's notable in my opinion. Like that's a lot of kids are at least like experimenting and I'm not putting a value on that. It's not like she's better than other kids. It's just something to note. And it's something it taught, it, it gives you an idea of the type of person that she was. And again, It's a little difficult to find specific things about her, but I do know that her brother, who was about 18 months younger than her, had a lot of really great things to say about her. He said that she was strong-headed, which I love, um, very, very smart, very kind, and that he looked up to her as a role model, which I think is a really um, awesome thing to hear and a sweet thing for someone to say about a sibling, especially when you're so close in age. So she and her siblings, she had a brother and an older sister, and I think her older sister may have been out of the home at this time, but I'm not sure. But for a while, they had been raised by their grandparents, who also live in Pocatello. Um, Like I said, Pocatello was really small, very religious. It does have a drug element to it, which Idaho definitely has. Again, small towns, lots of white people, it's just a thing. So anyway... At this point, Cassie was back living with her mother. She had a boyfriend named Matt Beckham. She'd been dating him for about five months, which, you know, when you're 16, like, that's a long time. Like, that's starting to feel serious. Uh, She had a decent amount of friends. Matt had a decent amount of friends. In that way, they were pretty typical. So just, you know, standard, standard kids. So just after starting her junior year, like, just in September, in fact, Cassie was asked by her aunt and uncle, Allison and Frank Contreras, to house sit for them over the weekend while they were out of town. 
Her aunt and uncle had three cats and two dogs, and they lived in a really nice big house in a kind of like a rich area. So they wanted somebody to stay with the animals and also just keep an eye on the house. So Cassie was obviously like super helpful, wanted to, you know, do the right thing, help her aunt and uncle out. But I'm pretty sure as a 16 year old girl, she was also like pretty stoked to have a house to herself for an entire weekend. Um, She'd even asked if Matt, her boyfriend, could come over and watch movies. And they're like, yeah, no problem. That's totally fine with us. And so on September 22nd, Cassie went to their house in the Whispering Cliffs area, which is a creepy ass name. Um, and she house sat. So her mother dropped her off and Matt came over around 6 p.m. So Cassie went there right after school. Matt came over shortly thereafter. Uh, while they were there, they decided to watch Kill Bill. And they were getting kind of cozy. And then all of a sudden, Matt's friend showed up. And they were also friends with Cassie, but more like acquaintance. Like they, they were friends with Cassie because she was Matt's girlfriend and they were Matt's friends. So they showed up. These two are Brandon Draper and Tori Adamchick. And they just stopped by. They said, oh, we heard there was a party at the house tonight. And she's like, uh, absolutely not. We're just hanging out watching movies. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll hang out for a little while. So they hang out for a couple of hours. They watch Kill Bill. And then they're like, you know what? We're kind of bored. We're probably going to leave. We're going to go see a movie. Cassie and Matt were probably pretty stoked because, again, like how often do 16-year-olds have an entire house to themselves? If you're me, you already live out of the house by the time you're 16, but that's probably not exactly the norm. So I'm going to say they were excited for this opportunity. However, shortly after the two left, uh, the power went out in the house and kind of flickered, like part of it went out and then all of it went out and then some of it flickered back on. And Cassie and Matt are like freaked out. They're like, this, what the fuck? You know, like, this is scary. We're in a pitch black house and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in like a rich neighborhood. You know how rich neighborhoods always have like, they're just creepy. They're like always on like a hillside and there's like, I don't know, there's always like a field across the street. It's just never like a good scene. So anyway, they're freaked out. The power goes back on. Everything seems fine. But Matt's like, I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to see if I can spend the night. His mom is like, absolutely not, but Cassie can come spend the night here since there's adults present, which I find really interesting. Like, you let these two be home alone in a house for multiple hours. You think they didn't do whatever you're afraid of them doing in the first half hour they were there? Like, come on. Come on. You don't remember being that age? Anyway, I digress. They they invite her to go spend the night at their house, and she's like, no, you know, I told my aunt and uncle that I would stay, like, I'm supposed to be here for the dogs and the cats, and just to watch the house, so I'm just gonna stay. Matt and Cassie were super freaked out, but she just, you know, she's reliable, she wants to do the right thing, she's trying to, you know, prove that she's an adult and mature, so she stays. Matt's mom, or dad, I think it's his mom, comes and gets him somewhere between like 10.30 and 11, and he leaves. And this is Friday night, September 22nd, and he goes home. Cassie stays with the animals. Two days later, her aunt, uncle, and 13-year-old cousin come home, and her 13-year-old cousin walks into the house and finds Cassie inside in the living room, dead in a large pool of blood. This is a terrible thing for anybody to find, but I can't imagine that being like a 13-year-old finding that. That's fucking terrible. Terrible. So they find Cassie in the living room and they call police. The police immediately come. They also call Cassie's mom. And Cassie's mom had obviously been trying to get a hold of her and wasn't able to. So 
when she drove out on Sunday, like, I'm just going to go pick her up. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with her phone, but I'm just going to go out there. She kind of came upon the scene, which is really fucked up. And I'm pretty sure also that Cassie had called her mom on Friday night just to let her know, like, I'm okay. Everything's fine. Matt's over. We're watching movies. Everything's great. So that's like extra shitty because, you know, she's like reassuring her mom she's fine. And then this happens. So police were actually really on it in this case. They started tracing back to what had gone on that weekend, like same day. They noticed that even though this was a really nice house in a rich area, nothing had been stolen. And there was also no sign of forced entry. So immediately they're like, hello, Cassie's boyfriend, Matt. Like, what the fuck went on? You were the last person to see her. She's dead. Like, what is going on? And something that was really problematic for the police was when they interviewed Brandon. So they first they went to his house and they were like, hey, your girlfriend died. Uh, She's been murdered. And he didn't react in a way that they really expected he would. He didn't react super strongly, and I think for the cops that was a big red flag, and I know it was for Cassie's mother because she immediately was like, you did it, or had something to do with it, it was you, and I'm not saying that like the cops listened to Cassie's mother or anything, I'm just saying the suspicion was definitely there. So they bring Matt in and they question him, he's super cooperative, I think the first time they talked to him he's like at his house, but the cops are still pretty suspicious. You know, they ask him what happened, and he basically tells them the story you all just heard. He came over, they watched a movie, he left before 11, and then he was home with his parents. The police ask him, you know, will you take a polygraph? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. He takes it and he totally passes. And we all know polygraphs are not like super reliable, but it's worth mentioning. He also, you know, had his parents as an alibi. The cops still aren't sure, so they check his phone records, and those show that he tried to call Cassie a number of times on Saturday, which was the day after the murder. I don't know that they used GPS to show where he was when he was making those calls, but again, he had an alibi, and everything he was saying kind of seemed to be true from what they could tell. So they're like, you know, why didn't you tell anybody when you couldn't get a hold of Cassie? And it's like, they're 16. Like, they probably have very separate lives. You know, I know that we've all heard the like Jasmine Richardson story and there's definitely like, you know, Romeo and Juliet relationships, but at 16, there's quite a few relationships that aren't that serious. And I kind of think that's where these guys were. Like, maybe they didn't talk every day. Maybe it wasn't a big deal, you know? Also, you're probably not thinking that your girlfriend got murdered. You're thinking maybe she went out, you know? So they keep pushing him. And finally, he's like, oh, you know, the power went out. That was super scary. Like, we don't know why that happened. And the cops are like, well, there's no, you know, power outages in the area. So that's pretty scary. And then he's also like, oh, you know, our friends Brandon and Tori came over, but they only stayed for like an hour or so. They left. They went to a movie. I don't know if that will help, but just, you know, so you know they were there. And the cops are like, yeah, we need to interview these kids right away because they saw her the night she died as well. Maybe they know something. So they go and they talk to Brandon and they talk to Tori. I think at first they just go to their houses, like just to kind of check in, see what's going on. And they basically say the same thing that Matt did. They came over, they were all watching Kill Bill, they got bored and they decided to go to a movie. So cops are like, okay, cool. Well, can you tell us about the movie? And Brandon's like, um, I don't really remember. Like, I don't remember anything about the movie. And they're like, well, what movie did you see? And at first he has a hard time telling them. I forget what movie he said. I think he said Pulse. I never saw that movie. I don't even know what it is. But they're like, okay, well, what's it about? And he's like, uh, I don't really know. But then I guess 
before the interview concluded, I think at this point he was at the station, he wrote out like a synopsis of the movie to like prove he had seen it. Um, and Tori kind of the same thing. They're like, well, what movie did you guys see? And Tori's like, uh, I don't know. And Tori is much more cagey with the cops. Like he's not nearly as talkative as Brandon, but basically like neither one of them can, can say where they were, or what they were doing. So the cops then reach out to the movie theater and there's a girl who goes to school with them. She went to the high school with them and she's like, they definitely were not here that night. I would have seen them. And again, like this is a very small town, so it's not like she would have like missed them. So the cops are like, okay, what's going on guys? And they're like, okay, we weren't at the movies. We were out burglarizing cars and we didn't, you know, want to get caught. We didn't want to get in trouble. So, you know, we didn't tell Matt what was going on. We just wanted to go cause trouble. You know, and the cops are like, well, that's a fair reason to lie. But they still are just like, this is too convenient. You know, this girl got murdered this night. These guys don't really have an alibi. Let's keep pushing it. So at this point, Tori basically stops talking. But Brandon doesn't really share in this caginess. He seems actually really willing to speak with the police. Um, You know, they both have their parents come in during the interviews. But Tori is much more tight-lipped, whereas Brandon is just like kind of weirdly open. Finally, just like they did with Matt, the cops ask both guys, you know, come down, do a polygraph, and they both agree. Like, yeah, sure, Tori's like, no problem. Brandon's like, sure, I'll come do it, whatever. The next day, the day of the polygraph, before the test, Brandon starts to act super upset. And he's like fidgety, he's with his parents, and and his parents are obviously very concerned, and he seems really upset. Prior to this, the police did actually search uh, Brandon Draper's home, And they didn't really find much. They did find like a sheaf, like a knife cover, um, but no knife. And Brandon's like, oh, that belongs to my friend. He just left it over here. He was like showing it off, whatever. So he's playing it cool, playing it cool. Now he's at the police station and suddenly he's like not playing it cool. So his parents are with him. He doesn't have a lawyer. And so the cops are like, okay, what did you want to tell us? And Brandon tells the police a story about the night of Cassie's murder. He said that he and Tori had gone over expecting there to be a party, but they were super disappointed when there wasn't anything going on. While they were watching the movie Kill Bill, one of them was like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And instead, they went down into the basement and unlocked the basement door. Then they left, but they didn't actually go anywhere. So they're like, oh, we're going to go to the movies. But instead, They just kind of go to the car, they change, they put on like black clothing, they have these stupid masks, and they put them on, and then they go into the house from the basement, and they shut off the power. Brandon said, you know, this was just a prank, we were trying to scare Cassie and Matt, it was just being stupid. And then Matt left. And he said, you know, we're still in the house when Matt left. And so we did the power thing again, we're just messing with Cassie, like, I think it's all fun and games. You know, so then we're like, oh, we're really going to scare her. So they put their masks on and they stomp up the stairs and they open the door. And then when they get up there to where Cassie is alone in the dark because the power is out, Brandon said that Tori just lost control and attacked Cassie out of nowhere. And now apparently they both brought knives with them as part of the prank, which sounds super legit. Like, I know if I'm going to pull a funny prank on my friend, I'm going to bring a fucking knife. Um you know, I mean, with the black clothing and the masks, the whole thing is stupid. But basically, you know, at this point, Brandon's crying. And I'm sorry, if I can just be honest and like editorialize a little bit here, which I realize I do more if Diva's present. But 
Brandon's full of shit. He's acting. It's like such, it, you can see the shit on YouTube and it's so clear that he is like playing some weird fucking role. But while he's acting this out, he's like, I had no idea Tori was going to do this. You know, it's this whole thing. Like he thinks that he's like in a movie. So Tori, when confronted, acts much less that in that way. He's much less of an idiot in that regard. He basically tells the cops to get fucked and is like, can I have my lawyer? So right at that point, they have to stop the interview because he's requested counsel. So Brandon, who still just wants to talk, 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 you know, because I think this is just like he's living out some weird fantasy. He also agrees to then take the police to the location of the knives and the masks. And he takes them to an area near Black Rock Canyon, which is kind of near this area in Idaho. And there's a bunch of burned items in a shallow pit. Among these items were two knives, later found to be the two murder weapons, as well as two masks, various gloves, um, like a length of cord, a half-burned letter, and other items kind of related to this attack. Their clothing, there were a bunch of different gloves, which is kind of weird. The knives were later to have been, uh, were later found to have been bought by a friend of the boys because they weren't old enough to buy them. But it turns out, like, there's no proof or even consideration that he had anything to do with the murder and he didn't know what the knives were for and you know when kids talk they're like oh i want these knives to like stab people and everybody's like yeah that's cool it's metal and like nobody actually thinks that their friends are actually going to do something like that so i feel bad for this kid who bought them because i'm sure he had no idea what he was helping these people do police then collect all of the items in the pit and they arrest both boys They still don't really believe Brandon's story, and with good reason. Like I said, if you watch this, it's clearly some bullshit. He thinks he's like in some teen soap opera, or possibly the movie Scream. So first, the medical examiner, after, you know, taking a look at Cassie, finds that she's been stabbed 30 times with two different knives. Of these stab wounds, 12 themselves were potentially fatal. 11 of these potentially fatal stab wounds came from one serrated knife, but the other final fatal or potentially fatal stab came from a smooth knife. So that means that more than one person stabbed her that night and that both people who stabbed her were potentially the people who caused the fatal blow. So either one could have been the murderer in, you know, if there was one stab that did it, either one of them could have been the one to deliver that. So police then start going through the evidence they found in the pit and beyond the two masks and the clothing and all that, they also found videotapes like from an old school video recorder because this was 2006 before everybody just recorded everything on their phones. So the boys had tried to burn these tapes and I have to think that Brandon thought that they had destroyed them because I don't know that he would have taken police there. Although again, like he's such a weird attention seeking, like, like that kind of guy that perhaps he thought they would be able to view them. I don't know. But in any case, police were able to recover and watch pretty much everything on the tapes. And this is where shit gets crazy. The tapes were from the weeks prior to the murder, like like months and months basically leading up. Uh, And it shows these two idiots just straight up planning the whole fucking thing. And it's not just planning Cassie's murder. They talk about doing a school shooting. They talk about how murder should be legal. They talk about Columbine. I guess Tori idolized the two assholes who did that, who I'm not even going to bother naming. So there's just endless footage of these two just being fucking idiots and also incriminating themselves. 
So I guess these two became friends pretty quickly over a shared love of movies and film. They were both sort of outcasts. I don't think in the way that like you think of like an outcast, like, you know, they had friends like Matt was their friend, Cassie was their friend. But I think they were like a little weird, a little niche, like they hung out with each other for the most part. So they, you know, spent a lot of time together, even though I don't really think Tori liked Brandon that much. um, But they spent a lot of time together for whatever reason. So in these videos, they also talk about how much they love the movie Scream. And I think at this point, it was like the third Scream was out. Um, But they had also seen the original, you know, it was only 10 years old when this happened. So there's a bunch of snippets online that you can listen to of these videos. But basically, they discuss, like I said, the mass shooting, but they ultimately decide to go the route of Scream, where they pick kids off one by one. And their first victim wasn't even Cassie or wasn't even supposed to be Cassie. It was another girl who happened to like not be home when they went to her house. And they were like, we're going to go kill this person. And you can't tell who it is. They, they've taken the names out of all the videos. But they're like, oh, she's not home. So I guess that's it. Like on to the next. And honestly, like, I don't know, like, I don't want to make light of this. But the way that these two behave in these videos, if you guys have seen the original Scream, they are, they remind me of Stu. So Matthew Lillard's character after he gets stabbed, like that is them throughout the whole thing, like that version of Stu, where they're just completely stupid, ridiculous, worthless, horrible idiots. Like that's who these guys are. And, and so much of what they said and did beyond being like fully evil is also just like completely fucking embarrassing. So they talk about like, oh, we're going to be more famous than all other serial killers. But then they like can't name them. And they're like, oh, you know, Ted Bundy is an amateur compared to us. Like, we're going to be more like Ed Gein. And like, Ed Gein was a super like mama's boy weirdo shut in who mostly just dug up dead women and made like clothing and home goods. But like, go off, guys. You know, you're, you want to be that cool, huh? Uh, anyway, sorry. The whole thing is just so dumb. So they also like talk to the FBI in the tape saying like, you're too late. I'll actually like read some of this, but it's so fucking cringy and it's, it's just so stupid. And it's also weird because it's like, why'd you burn the tapes? Cause you want the FBI to find them, right? Like so, so dumb. Anyway. So at a certain point, the focus does turn to Cassie and they start talking about how they're going to go to her house and she's going to have all these friends over and they're just going to kill them one by one. And they're like arguing about whether they're going to kill them all at once or kill them one by one. It's it's really stupid. And then I guess they had actually gone to her house uh, September 21st, but either her parents were there or she hadn't yet started house sitting or something, but they, they got called off. So then the next night, they're again talking about like, oh, we're going to kill Cassie. And if Matt's there, we're going to kill him too, if he tries to save her. And so these are their friends, you know, and it's just fucking crazy. So they know that she's going to be house sitting. They're like, this is our chance Friday night, we're going to do it. And on the day she's murdered, they even record her at school. And they're like, hey, Cassie, and like recording her, like getting into her locker. And and it's just insane that they're doing this knowing full fully what they intend to do later. Like these guys are fucking monsters. So again, like I said, that night, the night of the murder, they went to Cassie's aunt's house where she's house sitting. And it turns out the reason they thought there was going to be a party is because they had invited people over. But nobody showed up because they're fucking losers, which is great. But I think what they were trying to do, and I heard another podcast, I forget who mentioned this like ages ago, and I was like, oh, it's so true. They were trying to create the house party at the final scene of Scream. 
Which is funny because the two bad guys in that scene both get like, they're either, I think they both die. It's been a while. They either both die or like get arrested or both. So it's really weird that that's what they're trying to do um, when they're trying to be the bad guys. It's fucking stupid. But anyway, you know, everything they're doing is for show. It's for people to see them. They want to be in the spotlight. You know, and like I said, they're both acting like they're being watched by an audience, which is like super pathetic and embarrassing and also very, very strange. So anyway, they get into an argument about whether they're bad or evil. And Brandon just loves to fucking talk and he's just spouting off and the whole thing's stupid. Even Tori seems annoyed at Brandon and he's basically like, shut up, dude, like all the time, like be quiet, stop fucking talking. So anyway, I just had to, I, I can't stop hating on these two because they're so fucking horrible. So they go to this house, they unlock the basement door, like I said, and then they come back in. So prior to coming back in, they changed into all black clothing. They put on masks. They got their knives. But what Brandon left out in his retelling was that they also took some time to record themselves. And they record themselves talking about how they're about to have the, quote, daunting task of killing their two friends. And this is basically the point where Matt, her boyfriend, is no longer considered a suspect by police because clearly, you know, I think they were thinking like maybe he set it up for his friends to come kill her. Like maybe he unlocked the door for them. You know, he's the one who invited them over. It's very likely he could have had something to do with it. But now they have all of this evidence building up showing that Matt was just potentially a victim. So after they record all this shit, they go in, they do the thing in the basement. They said they also made some noise in the basement trying to like get Matt and Cassie to come down and see what the noise was like in a movie. But Matt and Cassie are both like, we're not going down there. It's fucking dark. There's no, you know, power. There might be a murderer. We're not fucking going exploring. We've watched movies. We know that's a terrible idea. So they turn the power back on, you know, Matt and Cassie kind of chill. She calms down. Matt ends up leaving. And when he leaves, he called Tori. And they answer the phone, the cell phone, and they're whispering as though they're in a movie. So he's like, do you guys want to meet up? And they're like, oh, we can't right now. Like we're watching a movie. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just go home. So they get off the phone. They shut the power off again. And now Cassie is alone in the dark. And I'm sure Matt feels terrible because he basically straight up told them, hey, my girlfriend's alone. You can you know, go murder her, even though he had no idea they were going to do that. So they, you know, turn the power off. She's alone. They come up the stairs and Brandon said that they slammed the door from the basement as they come up to like scare the shit out of her. They come up and we don't know exactly what happened, but basically they just attack her. Now, this is the part that police put together, like I said, because Brandon still blames Tori. Tori still blames Brandon. They're both still trying to, like, get post-conviction relief. The whole thing's ridiculous. But it's pretty obvious, you know, both knives were used. Both stabbed her multiple times. So they both killed her together. And in fact, the one stab from the smooth knife was thought to be the one that most likely killed her. Although clearly she would have died from her wounds anyway. And, and she did, you know. So after murdering Cassie, they just fucking leave and they go right back to recording themselves. And they are stoked. Brandon is gleefully yelling about the murder, saying things like, I just killed Cassie and I put a knife in her neck. And Tori's like, I'm shaking. But neither of them sound anything but like super, super happy. Really, really terrible. So Brandon keeps yelling and, oh my God, oh my God, like, I can't believe we just did that. Like, oh, we just killed Cassie. We just, I, not even we, I just killed Cassie is what he says over and over. And finally, Tori straight up tells him, dude, shut the fuck up. He's like, we need to get our shit straight. 
So basically, they need to figure out what to do next. And so, you know, they they figure out what to do next by saying they went to a movie that they don't, you know, find out what any movie's about. They can't say anything about it. I guess later on, they did produce like a ticket, like one movie stub, but it wasn't even for the right movie. So it's like they got to get their shit together. They've spent months planning this, but they didn't think for one second about like an alibi. Very, very stupid. So after that, there's not much more recorded. But one of the worst things about this case, in my mind, is the very next day, Matt, you know, Cassie's boyfriend, and Tori spend the whole day together. And Matt even spends the night at Tori's house. So Tori's just hanging out with Cassie's boyfriend like nothing fucking happened. Matt has no idea. And Matt didn't have a car. So he, in fact, even asked Tori, like, hey, can you take me by her aunt and uncle's house? I want to check on her. And Tori's like, dude, I don't have enough gas to get out there. Because, you know, they lived in like a rich neighborhood kind of up in the hills. So Tori won't even take him to check because he knows what he's going to find. So just another layer of fucked up. And also, this was so super premeditated. I wanted to read an excerpt from one of the videos um, right before Cassie's murder, which I said I was going to read. This is after... They'd gone to the would-be victim's house who wasn't home. So this was the night before, actually. Um, and so they moved on to talking about Cassie. So Brandon starts by saying, we found our victim and as sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddart and her friends. We'll let you, we'll find out if she has friends over, if she's going to be alone in a big dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I mean, like, holy shit, dude. And then Tori says... I'm horny just thinking about it. Then uh, Brandon says, hell yeah. So we're going to fucking kill her and her friends and we're going to keep moving on. I heard some uh, news about another girl they don't give the name of. She's going to be home alone from six to seven. So we might kill her and drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and then kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. Then Tori says, why one by one? Why can't it be a slaughterhouse? Draper said two by two and three by three because we got to keep it classy. And then Tori says, keep it classy. Brandon then says, so yeah, it's going to be extra fun. And then they start arguing about like, you're evil. And, and Tori says, no, evil is an expression of God. That was another test you failed. And which means it's so stupid. And even like Brandon says, that is bullshit. And you know, and it's like, yes, not even in the way, you know, it's, it's so fucking stupid. So basically they're like, oh, it sounds shitty to call us bad. And it sounds shitty to call us evil. So we're going to, so, so Brandon says, then we are sick psychopaths who get their pleasure off of killing other people. And Tori says, that sounds good, baby. Then Brandon says, we're going to go down in history. We're going to be just like scream, except real life terms. And then this is where they start talking about Ted Bundy and the Zodiac killer and Ed Gein uh, and all this dumb shit. But basically this is kind of what they're, you know, this is where their heads are. This is the level of maturity. It's so stupid. The last thing that he says that Brandon says before turning the video off on this night, which is the night before the murder, he says, murder is power. Murder is freedom. Goodbye. Which I'm sorry. It's so bad, but it's also so fucking evil, you know? So anyway, once all of this was kind of put together by police, both of these fucking losers were tried for the murder and they were both given a life sentence without parole plus 30 years without parole for the conspiracy to commit murder because Idaho does not fucking play because these are teenagers and, you know, they're 16, but they're like, we don't give a fuck. You're going away forever. So I think they both appealed and I think there was a new law that juveniles can't automatically be given life without parole. So I believe that they were resentenced and given the same sentence. 
Tori has tried to get post-conviction relief based on the fact that Brandon is the one on video saying he killed Cassie, and there's no fingerprints on the knives. Like, whatever they did when they burned them or wiped them down or whatever, like, they can't actually prove that Tori did it, but you also kind of can. He was obviously there. She was murdered. You know, he did it. And it's, a, it's obvious, you know, the videos, he was a big part of the plan. I do want to talk a little bit more about Brandon because I think a lot of people kind of, when you dive into this case, you start to see Tori as like the silent, like the brains behind the, the operation. But I think Brandon doesn't get enough credit for like the evil piece of shit that he is. Because he's definitely the one granting interviews from prison now, like crying on video and apologizing. But you can tell that it's just hollow. There's nothing authentic about what he's saying. He does not care. He just wants the attention. Everything that he's doing is so insincere and it's so clearly just him wanting the interview, wanting to be on TV, wanting people to like listen to him. He can't, there's just no emotion. And I think for him, so this has been really great because he's so self-obsessed that any chance to get attention he'll take, you know. And when, before he was sentenced, the judge was like, I am sure, given the chance, you would murder again. Because there's something very, very clearly off in both of them. But I feel like Brandon is, like, far more broken. And if you just watch the interviews, like, I really, like, everybody's like, oh, Tori was mad at him. Tori was the smart one. Brandon was just annoying. And it's like, yeah, Brandon was annoying. But he's also really, really fucked up. So they were sentenced in 2007. They're both still in prison. Uh, they're seven years younger than me, so they're only in their early, early 30s. They've got a long way to go. They're going to be in prison for a very long time. Uh, very unfortunately, Cassie's mom died in 2012, but at least she was able to see them behind bars before she died. And the last thing that I want to mention is that I don't think there were any warning signs. You know, it's unclear if they ever talked about murder to other students, but if they did, like, Nobody came forward. I know that they were really into like movies and people knew that, but I don't really think that they had, you know, obviously if Matt's inviting them over to his girlfriend's house, he has no idea that they have any of these tendencies whatsoever, which is super fucking creepy. And it's also just like super pathetic to me that they're like idolizing the Columbine shooters. But the reason that they're idolizing them is because they saw them as these like goth outcast weirdos and like they weren't that like later reports and we talked about this on the podcast when when diva covered it like they were like pretty popular like they played sports they had good grades they were like really normal kids so i think it's really pathetic that these guys are idolizing just basically fiction just fake representations of loser outcasts and that's who these guys aspire to be and it's like you kind of already are that like you didn't need to murder this lovely young woman with so much potential to like solidify your place as like a complete piece of shit um but it's just really sad to me and it's terrifying that like there were basically no signs like nobody knew that that they had this in them that they were thinking about this and they were planning this for months so I guess my closing point here is trust no one <laughs> because what the fuck. Um, so anyway, that's my story for this week. I'm sorry. We're a day late. We were trying to get some guest hosts on here. Um, that was my big grandiose plan, but it fell through due to my grandiose poor planning. So, but anyway, if you haven't seen the actual movie scream, like the original one, I highly recommend it. It's a really good movie. It's got a great cast. There's Nev Campbell, David Arquette, 
uh, Rose McGowan and her nipples both make an appearance um, in most of the film. And if you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, like I said, watch it and you'll know. Um, Courtney Cox is in it as well. I mean, it's a classic. It's a great movie. Definitely watch it, but definitely don't emulate any of the people in it like these fucking idiots. Um, And if you'd like to be really depressed, pissed off, but also kind of have to laugh, you can look up the videos of these two on YouTube just being complete fucking pathetic losers um, and very unfortunately succeeding in their horrible plan to murder someone. But yeah, like I said, don't be like these people. And definitely until next time, which will be with Diva, but may be released a few days late, stay off our lists. Stay off. Bye.